Well, good morning. It is great being here with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is John Swanson. I'm one of the elders here at Chapel Hill, and it is a pleasure to be with you uh, and to be standing up here this morning. Uh, I remember taking a college class uh, for speech and public speaking, and I don't remember much from that class, but one thing I do remember is, my, is Dr. Nassif saying, never begin a, a public speaking opportunity with an apology. And I'm going to break that rule today. Uh, that's the funny, funny thing is that's the only thing I remember from that class. But uh, unfortunately, uh, I got food poisoning yesterday. So, yeah, but I'm not going to let the enemy distract me from this. Uh, just know that if you see me run out that door, I'll be right back. Okay? I will be right back. But it is, uh, I do have my water, so my apologies if that's a distraction. Uh, I am drinking plenty of water here, so uh, my apologies again if that's a distraction. But as many of you know, uh, we have been working through the book of John, and we are nearing the end of that book, and we have studied a lot, we've been through a lot, and I, don't, I hope you have found it as informational, as educational as I have. Um, and one of the things that, that as we transition now to John chapter 21, and if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Paul talk about how he was uh, basically the first part of John 21, verses 1 through 14. And we're, we're seeing a much different Peter in chapter 21 than we've seen before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If you remember, the, the, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, share a story about how Jesus is talking to his disciples. And Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples respond, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, or another prophet. And Jesus says directly to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter stands out and says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And you see the enthusiasm in Jesus. You say, that's right, Peter. That's right. Only the Son of God could have relayed that to you. And it's, it's, you see that. But then a moment later, a moment later, Jesus begins to unfold to the disciples that he needs to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And Peter says, don't, don't be talking about crosses around here, Jesus. Don't, don't, we're not going to let that happen. I will defend you to the death. And many of us know that story. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, if the Savior of the world refers to you as Satan, you're not having a very good day. I think that's safe to say. But there was a boldness in Peter that I think Jesus respected and that I think Jesus liked. And we have seen some of that boldness in John chapter 21 disappear. I think it's safe to say that we are dealing with in chapter 21 a Peter that is broken, that is hurting. And you'll forgive me because I get emotional because I think all of us can relate to Peter in some way. And as we talk about through these verses, as we talk about Jesus' Jesus' reaction to Peter. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Because the fact is, 
every Christian has been in his shoes. I remember my story. There's a time where Peter, Peter is struggling after the denial. He's full of shame and guilt. And my story of shame and guilt happened 25 years ago. And unfortunately, I, had, I thought at the time in high school, I thought I had a really cool job. I worked at a movie theater. I got free movies. I could get my friends. I could get my family into free movies. I thought I had the best job in the world. And, and a seed was planted in me. I had a friend who, in hindsight, wasn't the best influence on me. He came to me as we were working in the movie theater one time, cleaning up trash. He said, hey, I took 20 bucks from the cash register today. And I said, I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. He was a friend of mine. But it planted a seed in me, and I started thinking, you know, I do work harder than other people around here. I deserve more. And I, t- I took $40 from the cash register. Why did I do that? It made no sense. Now, deep down, I, I, I can sit here and tell you that I was greedy. Absolutely. No doubt about it. But why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? You see, my mom raised my brother and sister and I in a way that you don't take stuff that doesn't belong to you. I knew better. Why did I make that decision? And you know what the hardest part about that whole process was? Yeah, I was embarrassed. Yeah, I got fired from my job. Every future job application that I had to fill out, there was a little box saying, have you ever been fired from a job? I had to always check that box, yes. And there was never any room in that box to say it was just one mistake. It was just one mistake. I wanted to tell people it was just one mistake. And I think every Christian has that. Every Christian has that story. I think some people, some Christians, wake up every morning and they look in the mirror. And that's the first thing they say to themselves. It was just one mistake. Every, every morning. They've been living with pain and hurt for years and years. And we'll talk about how does Jesus deal with our failures? How does Jesus deal with our struggle? How does Jesus deal with when we fall short? And that's, that's what I love about this story. I, there's so much wrapped into this story. And I, I, I hope you will get as much out of it as I have. Uh, if, uh, if you do not have a Bible, uh, please raise your hand. The ushers will be happy to provide one for you. Uh, and, and by all means, if you do not have a Bible, please keep that one. Uh, we want you to have that one. We'll take it out of Jamie Buchanan's budget. Uh, uh, but uh, we will start today by reading uh, John 21, starting at verse 15. All right. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, 
Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And it said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this, is, that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that this testimony is true. Now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now, as we mentioned, Pastor Paul talked last week, and just to recap, the disciples were not where they were supposed to be. Jesus said, and if you look in Mark 16, verse 7, I believe it is, one of the angels tells the two Marys, if you want to see Jesus, go to Galilee. Well, they go to Galilee for a short time, but then, G, uh, then Peter, excuse me, as a leader says, guys, I'm going to go back to fishing. And as Pastor Paul said last week, this was a career decision. This was not Peter saying, guys, I'm just going to go for fun and just go do some fishing. I'll be back here in a couple hours. Jesus is saying, guys, I don't want... I don't think Jesus wants anything to do with me. If you read Mark 16, verse 7, in that same verse, the angel tells the two Marys, go tell the disciples and Peter. It's actually the only book where the, where the angels say that. And I believe in the Bible every word has a meaning. And I believe there's a reason for that. And I believe that there's a reason the angel said, and Peter. Because Peter is probably feeling at this point that he is not welcome. That he is feeling like he, he doesn't belong anymore. And you see that in John 21 because we're dealing with a different Peter. The boldness is gone. And after Jesus does the second miracle in Peter's life where he catches all the fish, as Paul talked about last Sunday, they come to the shore. And how does Jesus respond in Peter's failure? Does he condemn him? Does he yell at him? I used to think that, to be honest with you. I heard voices in my head, and I used to think, actually, to be completely honest with you, I used to think it was the Holy Spirit saying, you know better than that. You know better than that. You weren't raised this way. And I, as crazy it may sound, I heard the Holy Spirit almost yell at me if that's even possible. Saying, John, that's not my voice. You see, the enemy loves to attribute his voice, loves it when we attribute his voice to God. The enemy loves to make us stumble. 
You see, if the enemy wants to get to God, what's the best way to do it? Get to us. You'll see that, that there is an agape style of love that Jesus has for each and every one of us. And if you want to get to God, get to the people he loves. And we see that over and over. So Jesus is cooking them breakfast. So how to, first of all, how does Jesus respond in our failures? Does he yell? Does he yell at us? Does he condemn us? He cooks us breakfast. He cooks the disciples breakfast. And he, while he makes them breakfast, he says, Simon, son of John. And you know that's serious. You know that's serious. Because early on, he changes Simon's name to Peter. And Jesus refers to him as Peter. So you know when Jesus calls out Simon, son of John, you know that had to get Peter's attention. I remember when I was out playing as a kid, and my mom would come out and say, John Roy Swanson. Got to go, guys. <laughs> Why, what's wrong? I don't, I, I, it's, it's not good. Is it ever good when your mom or dad yells out your full name? And that's what's happening here. Jesus is trying to get Peter's attention. And he uses his old name because Peter's acting like his old self. He's not acting like he should be. So he says, Simon, son of John, he asks one question. One question, three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And we see that love theme over and over and over again in John's book. As an example, and you don't need to turn there, but in John 14, 14 verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Chapter 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Verse 28, you heard me say, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. There's an overwhelming theme in John's book. Love. You see, Jesus knows that you will follow what you love. You will serve what you love. You will sacrifice for what you love or who you love. And Jesus is asking Peter this deep, prodding question over three times. Do you love me? Now, the English translation doesn't really do us justice here. But in the English translation, we really only have one word for love. Love. I love my wife. I love my three boys. But you know what else I've said? I love ice cream cake from Dairy Queen. I love Dairy Queen ice cream. I love it. Does that mean it's on the same level as my wife and kids? Of course not. Okay? But in the Greek translation, which is what John was originally written in, Greek... There are different types of love. There's agape, which is the most sincerest form of love, 
which is what Jesus is referring to. That's the love Jesus has shown to us, sacrificial love. But there's also phileo love. And if you've been here for a few years, you've heard Pastor Paul talk about those terms. Those terms may be familiar to you because they've been spoken up here before. But it's very interesting because Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And in the Greek translation, it's, Peter, do you agape me more than these? Do you put me above other things in your life, Peter? Am I more important than fishing? The these? Your fishing boat, your fishing nets, your fish? You really want to be satisfied, Peter, with a comfortable life, a safe life, a safe income? I have more planned for you, Peter. I have more than that for you. Which do you want? Make a decision. Make a choice. But I have, I have bigger plans for you than fishing. But make a choice. Make a decision. And we see Jesus' heart in Peter's response. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But remember, the English translation really only has one word for love. In the Greek translation, Peter actually changed the word. He responded by saying, yes, Jesus, I phileo you. Agape, phileo. My wife and kids, Dairy Queen ice cream cake. Two different things, two different forms of love. Way different. But Peter knew who he was talking to. He knew he was talking to God. And the omniscience of God could see right through him. He didn't want to be a hypocrite, so he couldn't say, Yes, Jesus, I have agape love for you. After he had just denied him three times. And not only denied him, he disobeyed him. And he took his friends with him. Many believe that there were several, most of the fishermen in the disciples. Right off the top of my head, Peter, James, John, Philip, Andrew, Nathaniel. Thomas was also included, even though he wasn't necessarily a fisherman. Thomas was there as well. But not only did Peter sin, he took his friends with him. Peter needed to be restored. And this was a, make no mistake about it, this was a public restoration. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where maybe you've offended someone. Maybe you've hurt someone's feelings. And the next time you see them, there's just some awkwardness in the group. You don't know how they're going to respond. They don't necessarily know how you're going to respond. But there's awkwardness there. I think it would have been fascinating to see Peter's response as he sits around the fire as Jesus cooks some breakfast. Honestly, I don't know if, Jesus, or if Peter could have eaten that much. I'm sure he's feeling pretty miserable. We see from chapter 21, from both the verses that Paul read last week and the verses that I just read to you, that there's a ton of self-doubt in Peter right now. That he doesn't know what to do. Should he go back to his old life? That's safe. 
that's comfortable? Or should he take the chance and follow Jesus? But Jesus says the second time to him, Peter, Peter, do you agape me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You see, Peter's relying on Jesus' omniscience to know that Jesus does, in fact, love him. To some people, that's concerning that Jesus and God knows everything about us, and he knows our internal thoughts. But I think in some ways, it can also be a blessing. Because even when I screw up, even when I steal money from my employer, Jesus knows the condition of my heart. And I think that's a blessing. And the third time, Jesus asked him, Jesus came down to Peter's level. Jesus said, Peter, do you even phileo me? In other words, Peter, do you even have great affection for me? Because that's what phileo means in Greek. Do you have affection? It's a brotherly kind of love. But Peter Peter could not sit there and say that at that moment... He had an agape type of love for his Savior. But I think think Jesus' response to each of these questions is fascinating. Because after answer number one, he said, feed my sheep. After answer number two, he said, tend my sheep. Take care of my sheep, Peter. Look Look at the people hurting out there, Peter. They need me. They need to know about me, Peter. Look at our workplaces. That person who puts in 14-hour days and avoids their family needs to know me, Peter. That person who stabs you in the back to put themselves at a higher level and to look better at their work needs me, Peter. That person who steals your lunch from the office refrigerator needs me, Peter. Look at our schools. Look at the people hurting. There was another school shooting this last week. The kids in today's world don't know how to deal with the pain. Jesus is saying, feed them, Peter. Take care of them. Love them. Feed them. Take care of them. So even though Peter responded with a, yes, Lord, I have great affection for you. It's, it's, it, it isn't where it should be. It isn't where it ought to be, but it's, it's real. It's there. Jesus could have very easily said, Peter, you need to go take some time. You need some counseling. I'll come back to you in a couple months and we'll talk again. He didn't say that. He said, I still want you. I still want you, Peter. I love you, Peter. I want you. But you need to make a decision. And he's asking that of us today. Wherever you are. And I don't know what pain you've had in your life. I don't know what has happened. I just gave you a pain in my life. Some of you have pains that run deep. And they hurt. And every morning, you think of that pain. And it may not even be a sin. It could be abuse. And you think about that abuse and that pain in your life every single day. And Jesus is saying, 
I want to fix it, Peter. I want to fix it. Make no mistake. Peter is having corrective surgery here. Jesus is prodding deep into Peter, and it hurts. And after that third time, Peter's grieved. It says that in the, in the book. I just read it to you. Peter's grieved. And many people, many scholars believe that he's grieved because Jesus had asked him three times. But in reality, based on my research and from biblical scholars, he's not necessarily upset about being asked three times. He's, at, he's upset because Jesus is even questioning his phileo love for him. He's even questioning that now. Peter, do you even love me phileo? And, and Peter is grieved by that. And Jesus knows what Peter needs. And he reaches out. And make no mistake, when Jesus reaches out to touch you, he will do it to heal you and not to hurt you. I remember in high school, I was playing a basketball game up at Richfield High School. And a thousand times I've done it. I played low post and I, I did a pump fake. And the guy came down with his elbow and he hit my nose. I knew right away it was broken. And I had to go see the doctor. And the doctor says, yep, it's broken. You're going to need surgery. And I started asking questions. How long is the surgery? Are you going to put me under? What does this surgery entail? Well, the doctor said, we try not to put, give you too much anesthesia. So you'll, you may be going in and out of consciousness. But you'll, so just so you know, you might be awake for it. I said, will I feel anything? And he goes, you shouldn't. I said, I said, wait a minute. What do you mean I shouldn't? Now, I had a choice to make there. My, my nose was looking like this. I had a choice to make. I could have just said, you know what? I'm good. But I believed that the healer knew what he was doing. And I remember laying on the operating room table... And the doctor looks over me like this, and my head was right here. And he's like, are you ready? And I shook my head yes. I remember this. I was awake for it. And he takes my nose, and he goes, boom. And I heard it crack. Sorry if that grosses anyone out. I remember thinking, huh, that was interesting. But that's how Jesus works. That's how when he, when he reaches out to you to touch you, he does it with the intention to heal, not to hurt. And I love that. And now he's in the process of restoring Peter. And we go back. And there's a couple times in John where... John says, truly, truly, I say to you. John says that a few times in his, in his book. And, and essentially what it means is, you can take this as fact. I have witnessed it. I've seen it. It's true. 
And John says, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says this to Peter. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus is essentially telling Peter, Peter, when you get older, you will be imprisoned, you will be in chains, you will be taken where you don't want to go, and you will be crucified. Welcome back to the faith, Peter. Welcome back. Talk about a dark, dark future. Why would Jesus do that? Wouldn't it be better if if Jesus just kept it a secret and just let Peter figure it out? You see, I believe he did Peter a great service here. He's telling Peter that next time you are faced with the opportunity to deny Christ, you pass with flying colors. You have nothing to worry about. Because imagine, Peter is full of self-doubt. He's full of it. And he's probably already thinking inside himself, if I'm ever confronted with this situation again, what am I going to do? The seed of doubt has already been planted. If the seed of doubt has already been planted, it gives room for the enemy to work. So Jesus tells Peter, "Uh uh-uh. You pass with flying colors this time, Peter. And the first time I read that, one of the goals I've made, and I've had conversations with Pastor Paul about this, one of the goals that I've made for myself, and I've read through the Bible. I've read through the Bible a few times. But honestly, the first few times I've read through the Bible, if I got to a point where I didn't understand it, I just read, read over it. I didn't get it. I'm really trying to read with the intent to understand. I believe there's a difference between reading and reading with the intent to understand. And there's so much there that if you dig deeper, you'll see what Christ is doing in people's lives. And it's fascinating because he tells Peter, Peter, you are going to be taken where you don't want to go, you're going to be imprisoned, and you will stretch out your hands, which is a euphemism for you're going to be crucified. But there's a bright future. And in there, I love this part. I love this part. It said this, In verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. John is saying that Jesus told Peter, you are going to die. Your life, Peter, your life and your death can bring glory to me. And oh, I want that for my life. I want my life dictated on my faith, not my failures. Someday when Pastor Paul's standing up here giving my eulogy, I don't want him standing up here saying, John Swanson was a good man. But he did cheat on that eighth grade math test. And he did take money from his employer. And he did start the flowers on fire at his wedding. Which is a true story, by the way. (laughs) Try to live that one down as a fire marshal. (laughs) Maybe if if Paul ever lets me up here again, I'll tell you that story. But that's a true story. I want my life, at the end of it, dictated by the faith. I think every Christian wants that. That our lives bring honor and glory to God. 
And some of you may be saying, well, wait a minute. That's a pretty dark future for Peter. He's still going to die. He's still going to be crucified. I have a feeling if you ask Peter, Peter, what would you prefer? Would you prefer to go to the island of Patmos like John did in an exile and just die of old age or whatever? Or would you rather be crucified? Pretty easy decision. But when it comes to the Christian faith, it's not about Peter. It's not about John Swanson. You see, when we love, which is what Jesus is calling us to do, when we love the agape style of love, agape love sacrifices. It gives something up for the other person. That's what agape style of love does. As I mentioned previously, you will follow what you love. You will serve what you love. You will sacrifice for what you love. Jesus knows that. He doesn't want to be equal with another thing or another person in our life. He's already made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And he's calling out to us, saying, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what your past hurts are. And maybe some of you need to meet one-on-one with Pastor Paul. Maybe some of you need to meet one-on-one with Pastor Jamie. Maybe some of you need to meet with a Christian counselor. Maybe some of you need to sit down and pray alone tonight. And confess the sins. But then we rise and we get up. And we move on. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. I find this last part humorous. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it going to betray you? Then Peter saw him and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? The disciple who Jesus loved, John, was following, listening to this whole conversation. And Peter was just told he's going to be crucified. And he's in the process of being restored by Jesus. And in the process, he goes, Jesus, out of curiosity, since we're on the topic, how does he die? I know I get crucified, but how does he die? And I I envision Jesus going, Peter, Peter, it's not about you. It's about a sacrifice, as I've said. But then he goes, if it's up to me, or if it's my will that he remain until my second coming, what is that to you? In other words, Peter, that's none of your business. You follow me. You follow me. Don't compare yourself to another person. Don't compare yourself to another Christian. You follow me. Well, Jesus, I would love to follow you, but my, my husband isn't a Christian. I, you follow me. Jesus, I would love to, but my wife isn't a Christian. It's really hard. I, I know, I know. You follow me. Jesus, I would love to, but when I go to work, there's no other Christians there. I, I know, I know. You follow me. And just watch what I do with one life that is dedicated and devoted to me. That is what Jesus is saying to Peter. Don't worry about other people. Focus on yourself. And just watch what I do. 
Now, if we were bystanders watching this interaction, to be completely honest with you, as I watched this group of misfits struggle, the disciples struggle with the faith, I would have probably said to myself, this religion is done. But Jesus understands. He needs to, he's leaving. He's going back to heaven. He needs and he is entrusting the spread of this faith to this group of people. He needed to restore it. And that's what Jesus will do to you. Wherever you are, whatever hurting in your life, whatever past pain in your life, Jesus will come find you. And praise the Lord for that. We see that story played out over and over and over again in the Bible. Where Jesus comes and finds the lost sheep. And he rejoices in that. I believe God rejoices in one person returning who's been lost. No doubt about it. But make no mistake, Peter had to act. It takes action on our part. Peter had to get out of the boat. Jesus came to Peter. Peter still had to get out of the boat. You still have to act. And when Jesus comes to you, and I don't know how he'll do that, only you will know that. But he will get your attention, but you will need to act, and you will need to make a decision. And praise the Lord that we serve a God of second, third, and fourth chances. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you that we can learn from this story. That you redeem us, you restore us, you recommission us, Lord, to follow you. And I just pray, Lord, that for the people in this room, myself included, that we would look to you, that we would have an agape style of love for you that would exceed all other things, that we would be willing to follow you at all costs, to serve you at all costs, to sacrifice for you at any cost. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done and how you saved us. In your name, amen.